Hello and welcome to The Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Medin, and to discuss uh, the dining situation and costs at RIT today, I'm joined with... Kevin Zamprom, the leisure editor. Kristen Grant, the features editor. Brianne McDonough, print managing editor and writer of the article. All right, thank you guys. So, Brianne, to start off, can you give us a brief overview of what this article talks about? Sure. So... This article talks about a lot of the issues students have with the current um, dining situation. So, you know, we're looking at students and their meal plans, like these freshman meal plans that they're forced to buy. You know, are they happy with them? No, that's debatable. (laughs) Um, Like how restricting they are, you know, these meals, like you you have to spend a certain amount of meals by the end of the week and you lose them. Um, So there's like a lot of money involved in this. So people kind of want to know, like, where is it going? And, you know, why is it going? Um, then you have things like extra debit at the end of the semester, so extra dining dollars, as they're called now. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll probably refer to them as debit throughout the article because I've been here for a while. But um, the essentially the issues with them. So lost money, you know, at the end of the semester, at the end of the year, if they don't use all of their dining dollars or debit, they lose it. So it's kind of looking at that and like, why are they losing that? Um, and then, you know, why are food prices the way that they are? Some people are like, well, they're they're pretty expensive compared to what I could get at Wegmans. So why are students forced to buy food on campus if it's more expensive than what they can get elsewhere? So it's kind of the general gist of it. Um, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of stats and, and other information, but you can read the article for that stuff. Yeah, in the article, um, you said you surveyed 104 students um, to talk to them about how they feel about meal plans. Um, and the first thing uh, I noticed is that the majority um, is unsatisfied with their meal plan. Yeah, so um, that was interesting, um, trying to get that information. So what I did was I made like a Google form, and um, I sent it. I put it on the Reddit, I put it on um, the different Facebook pages, just trying to get RIT students to respond um, so I can get kind of like a honest feedback. And um, so, yeah, I mean, students aren't generally very satisfied. They Some of them are neutral about it. Uh, some of them, you know, some of them are happy with it. Um, but I think it's worrisome that people, that so many people are unsatisfied because, I mean, if they're paying this much money, shouldn't they be happy? Shouldn't everyone be at least okay with what they're getting? Right. And one of the major issues um, was was the amount of money and, and also the Gracie's meals. Um, so, for example, 40.3% of the people you surveyed said they didn't use all of their Gracie's meals. Um, and on freshman plans, 5 to 13 meals have to be used at Gracie's. Um, but at the same time, dining services said 82 to 83% of meals are used per week. Um, so how can how can they have almost double the number that you got? So I think that comes, uh, and I addressed this in a sentence or two in the article, but I think that comes from they're looking per week how many meals are spent. And what I asked was, do you always, sp- like, do you use all of your plans almost all of the time? So they might be looking at, you know, per week, 83% of those meals are being used, but, you know, that 17% of students aren't the same 17% all the time. So I think that's where that discrepancy comes in. I still think 83% is is not enough. I think, you know, well, you have 17% of students are losing their money that they spent on these plans. So I, th- I think that's definitely still concerning. Um, when I talked to them, they said it was about, um, like, um, 
at 75 percent they would be concerned um but i mean i think that's a lot of people that are losing out on things um i don't know if you guys have any experience with meal being on meal plans <laughs> i mean i know like at the end of the semester everyone's like okay let me buy a hundred dollars worth of like i don't know stuff from the global village market mm-hmm. or like uh, the corner store or something like that so i would wonder if those nick numbers I mean, of course, they can't include that. Like, it was, like, end of the semester, like, buying yeah. sprees, and that's not, like, good. Like, so I, I saw someone buy an entire crate of Mountain Dew in the corner <laughs> store, and, like, that's not healthy or, like, helping them survive. It's just a crate of Mountain Dew. So there's, I, I just see stuff like that, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of complaints that that, you know, debit doesn't roll on to the next semester if you're still staying at RIT, and why doesn't it? Yeah, uh, and, and they told me, actually, that it used to. So currently... It rolls over from fall to spring, but not spring to the next fall. They told me it used to not roll over at all. It was only like 3% or something. So I'm glad that they moved forward with that. But I wish and um, Stanley Goldstein brought it up when I interviewed him that he's like, well, if they can do that, why can't they move it over to the next year too? Um, but I know I actually had this weird experience last summer or this summer. Um, I was given a meal plan for my um, research experience. And it was like $1,500 for 10 weeks. And it was just so much money. I didn't know what to do with it. So I was like buying candy and stuff. Right. And at the end of the year, um, first off, Dining Services reports an average of people having more than $50 left. Um, and your survey turned up $73 more. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's Gracie's or maybe Commons that, that does like an end of year fancy meal. Is it Commons? I think it's mm-hmm. Commons. Yeah. Yeah. They have like they, lobster and yeah. steak. They call it like the debit blowout or whatever. Right. And if, if they're doing that, that, that means that they're aware of the problem, right? Yeah. So I think the problem is that you're looking at these averages, right? So um, you have students who are using the right amount, you know, who are maybe behind. But you also have students, you know, who are way on the other end of that scale. And, and I think, you know, they look at these averages and they say, okay, everything's fine. But, you know, for those students... You know, what are the extremes? Like, what are the extremes that you're being left with? And and I think it's a lot. I mean, so I also left um, a comment portion in the uh, survey I sent out. And people were responding. Saying, I had this one, this one person responded. She's like, I'm replying to this for, like, my boyfriend and I. We're both on his meal plan and surviving perfectly fine. <laughs> wow. Um, and I think, so it really depends on the person because so many people are different, right? Like, I just, I don't eat very much. Some people eat a lot, and I think that these meal plans aren't really accounting for those people who don't eat as much. Right. They do have to, I guess, play towards an average. Um, but it seems like from some of the people you interviewed, the main problem is that they're forced to buy a more expensive meal plan than is appropriate for them. Yeah. So, um, you know, these meal plans, they're great for some people. Uh, but Stanley Goldstein, uh, he's um, a, he's in his fourth year now. Um, but... Uh, he's, so he's been on lots of meal plans because he's actually gone. He was in dorms two years and then came back on for his fourth year <laughs> due to problems with housing. But that's another story, right? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so he was saying, you know, I don't need the orange plan. So the orange plan has also been known as all debit. And that's, um, you know, 2500 a semester or something like that. And he's saying, you know, I, I told them, I was like, I could be on the silver plan and survive fine in the dorms. So they argue that um, that in the dorms, students need these larger meal plans because they don't have access to cooking spaces and they don't want them to try to jury rig a cooking space. But 
Um, at the same time, in dorms are some Greek houses that are allowed to be on cheaper plans. So you have this kind of discrepancy there. Okay, if they're arguing that they need to be on these bigger plans because they're in the dorms, then why can Greek life su survive on these smaller plans? So there's a bit of a discrepancy there that needs to be addressed. Right. So I, I would say that some people feel that um, the reason that these meal plans are set is because it's a kind of a captive customer base and they can choose the price. So do you guys personally think that, that these prices are designed with a student in mind or maybe more designed with the bottom line in mind? Why don't you guys go ahead? I mean, I, I mean I, I'm not think, thinking they're like these Machiavellian, like how can we get money from these kids? But like there is the, you know, the profit incentive, you know, they do make money off of, you know, in some capacity. And uh, yeah, I, I just, oh, I, I understand the Im impulse to have, like, it's better to like, give them too much than not enough. You know, you'd rather have kids overfed than starving. But I think it is definitely an you know, avenue that they could take another look at. Yeah, and I believe in your article when you were talking to some people from the food services, they admitted that they do try to make a profit for the school. And that is incorporated into what their job is. So like you said, I don't feel like they're making these evil plots to steal money from students, but they, they are aware that that's a goal that they need to meet. Yeah, so schools have um, auxiliary services, and I learned a lot more about them for a previous article, but these services are tasked with making money for the school um, to support endeavors that don't make money. So like places like dining and housing, uh, parking is actually not one at RIT, which is something most students don't know. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, so uh, there's there's that's a whole other issue again. But, um, I mean, I talked to three people from dining, they're very nice. Like, they're, it's not like they're sitting there like, oh, how can we screw over students or whatever, you know. Um, one of them, at least one of them, was a former student himself. One of them was a, par was a parent of students at the school. So um, you, these people aren't out to get us, but, but they admitted, and I was really surprised when they said this, they, um, that the process for doing it, they compare it to schools, right? Um, they compare it to other schools in the same area that have similar um, – things of RIT and um, they compare these schools then they you know compile this list make suggestions they send it up these polls and to the budget office and you know the budget office tells them okay this is how much you need to make your baseline meal plan like the lowest cost freshman meal plan this is how much it needs to be and I was really surprised at that point like student consideration isn't brought into the price at all I mean they didn't even mention calculating how much students actually needed which I was really surprised by I don't know if they're assuming these other auxiliary schools are or what, but they're not actually calculating how much a student needs to eat, and that's what I was really surprised to find. They do when it comes to, like, designing the meal plans. They say they you know, have focus groups, that they have these students come in and tell them what's wrong. But, um, I mean, that's great for designing how a meal plan is, but you can give me any one of those meal plans. I'm going to have too much left over at the end, right? Right, and, and I'm curious what their explanation is for not allowing – students to buy the silver plan, which is significantly cheaper than the, the orange plan. Right. Like So what I said um, earlier is that, um, you know, they say that they don't want students um, trying to not have enough in the dorms because they, they can't buy materials to cook with because they don't have access to cooking facilities. Um, so they don't want students trying to like, they literally said they, they know students are very creative and they'll come up with ways to cook food in their dorms. Um, but at the same time, like I said, there's this discrepancy where you have these Greek life uh, organizations are allowed to have these cheaper meal plans, even though they also don't have access to cooking facilities. 
um, in a little bit of a different direction, but um, it came up in your article that um, a lot of the food is also kind of unhealthy, right? All across RIT. Um, why, why is that? So um, a year and a half ago or something like that, I wrote an article called The RIT Diet. And the, the idea behind the article was me trying to do these like stranger diets like keto or like paleo on campus. And of course, you know, while that was sort of a, a fun way to approach it, when I talked to the, uh, I guess, then dietitian, I'm not sure if she still works there, uh, Mary Ann McKay, she, I, I said healthy foods and she stressed healthier foods rather than healthy foods. Like that was a deliberate thing. She stopped. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> it means that, that they don't feel comfortable calling their food choices healthy. Okay. Just, well, and she mentioned that, you know, the number one item they purchase are chicken fingers. And that's just, a you know, based on, like, supply and demand. <laughs> and you have to, like, re- I understand, like, it's kind of a difficult position to, like, how quick keep things healthy. And also, like, how do we reflect what college students often eat, which is not healthy. Right. I, I wonder, do you think that the university has a responsibility to serve healthier options despite what the preferences of students might be? So they say that they've actually seen an increase in, in fruit and vegetable consumption, um, they say like at Commons, like the number one selling thing is like those fruit cups. So they are seeing an increase in these healthier options and they are trying to provide both. So you have these healthy options and you have, um, you know, the unhealthy stuff that people actually want. Um, but I think a bigger underlying problem is um, students are going to be spending their money on junk food they wouldn't otherwise buy um, because they have so much extra money. You know, they they track, you know, how much they say you have $50 extra generally, but they're not taking into account the fact that you're probably buying extra to compensate for that amount. I mean, when I was on a dining plan, I would go buy candy almost every day. Like, and, you know, I gained my freshman 15. Uh, not going to lie about that. Like, so, and it's really, is an issue. And Stanley Goldstein was talking about this too. He says, you know, I just buy so much food that I won't need because you can't buy a lot of healthy food that stays fresh for very long. I mean, you can't buy like fifty dollars worth of apples, you know? Yeah. Like that's just that'd be crazy. But, like, <laughs> like buying fifty dollars worth of candy, that's you know, it makes a little more sense in this like kind of strange calculus that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder since there's some uh, quite a bit of dissatisfaction with the meal plans, the students will start looking towards other alternatives. In this same issue, I reviewed an online delivery service that is very convenient and will bring food like right to your doorstep. And what's good about that is that then you can kind of like control how much you spend because you don't have this obligation to spend all this money. Yeah. So was this food was could you get food that was like pre-made? Yes. um, This particular service, Instacart, has partnered with Wegmans. So you can get all of Wegmans pre-made meals. You can get like fresh produce and everything of that variety. So you could, even if you're living in the dorms, you could order a couple pre-made meals. Those are microwavable. Yeah. So So maybe RIT's on-campus dining will have some sort of outside competition that can kind of wrangle in their pricing and their health options. Yeah, I mean, that would be great, except the problem is they've already got a captive audience, right? They're already making these students buy these meal plans, so why would you buy food off campus? You know, so it's kind of a hard thing. Um, And and I understand, you know, they have to make money, but I think forcing people to buy plans, maybe not the best option. Although they say only 30, like a third of their profit actually comes from meal plans. So there's that. It's not like all of their profit. All right, well, that's going to wrap up our time for this episode of The Reporter Podcast. Thank you, thank you everyone, for joining us today. Um, be sure to read The Reporter in stands and online at reporter.rit.edu. Uh, follow us on social media at ReporterMag on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram. 
Uh, and call rings. It's kind of like Yik Yak. Uh, if you remember Yik Yak. If you don't call rings, you'll find out. Uh, at 585-672-4840.